suddenly worldwide suddenly the generation of electricity suddenly <laughs> electricity <laughs> electricity Hello and welcome back beyond the sofa. Hello. Or maybe somewhere else. Indeed. I'm David. And I'm Peter. And we normally do the Beyond the Sofa podcast, but great news, dear listener. <laughs> great news for all readers. We're going to diversify our podcasting portfolio, and this is an experiment to try a new podcast called mm. Where Eagles Dare. Mm. So you might be one of our older Doctor Who listeners going, what the hell's going on? Or you might be a new listener going, what the hell's going on? What we want to do is Peter and I would like to do a podcast about the 1980s run of IPC Eagle Comics from the UK. Why? Because, <laughs> well, I've got to be honest, because of Space Spinner 2000, which does such a wonderful job of doing 2000 AD, it got us both thinking, what was something we liked reading from the 80s, which we could pick apart with such fun and joy and glee? We couldn't think of anything, so we got Eagle. Space Spinner 2000 is a lovely podcast that has two Americans analysing 2000 AD with joy and glee. And we differ in two ways. <laughs> First is we're not American, we're New Zealanders. Second, we both read the Eagle, which we're looking at, rather than 2000 AD when we were kids. And it's Eagle, not 2000 AD. So this is a big um, nostalgia hit for me. I haven't opened an Eagle since... I was reading it. Well, maybe we should start with what Eagle is and what Eagle isn't. Sure. Eagle is an anthology comic from England. It's a reboot of uh, the 1950s Eagle comic, which was very influential in the UK comics industry. Mm. In fact, it has the awards named after it. Quite. And it's most famous for having the character Dan Deere, which effectively was a parson in space being a test pilot. Mm and lavishly coloured, and was produced in the 1950s as a response to things like EC Comics invading the English bookshelves. Mm. Rather than create the Comics Code Authority to deal with these horrible magazines that were coming from America, England just said, well, let's make the magazine we want. And Eagle started a whole new wave of things like Swift Robin, where they were a lot more middle class. Mm. Upstanding. Yes, with lots of features and historical facts and sometimes lavishly illustrated Bible stories. <laughs> Those didn't survive into the 80s version of Eagle, but that's sort of the back history before Eagle started with issue one in 1982. Now, one thing we are going to shamelessly do is pinch Space Spinner 2000's format and cover a month of issues an episode. However, issue one was the only issue for March, so we're going to dedicate the first episode to that. There's a lot of setting up and things to deal mm. with. Eagle lasted for a long time, but it died out in the early mid-90s, and I'm not entirely sure we're going to get to the end of Eagle's run, mm. because there's a point where they're basically reprinting everything. Unless you're crazy people like us coming back to the whole run 35 years later, you probably only read a couple of years' worth and then your younger siblings picked it up and read the same stories over again. Mm. But quite an interesting story while it's around, isn't it, Dave? Because, oh, yes. um, you know, it picks up other titles. It shares a lot of the talent from other IPC titles like 2000 AD. So we're going to see some uh, familiar names from the House of Tharg 
uh, mm. because they're both King's Reach Tower publications. And there's a bit of a charting of the social sphere as well. I mean, well, e- Eagle hopefully. is a bit of a time capsule. It hopefully is. I've got to admit, I've probably not read any issues for 20, 30 years. So it's going to be, some of it's going to be a bit new to me, I think, as mm. we go through. Or I will have forgotten it or missed some of the nuances of the time because short pants me didn't get it. <laughs> One of the other things with uh, Eagle versus 2000 AD, where 2000 AD is a dedicated science fiction comic, Eagle is a more general anthology comic. You can have cowboys in there, you can have soccer stars in there, you can have all the little things that were simmering in the the mm. general schoolboy consciousness of the UK, probably more in the late 70s than the early 80s, but mm. again, it is a bit middle class. Yeah, yeah. I think we're going to come up against this a bit, Dave, as the, the sort of the intents of the comic, voice of the comic, if there is one, mm. and, and where it meets the voice of the audience or the ears of the audience. But uh, hey, let's uh, not give too much away. One other big difference, and it's one that we should flag early because it's going to really affect the the first early run of the stories, is these aren't traditional comic books in a drawn-line sense. Mm. There was a lot of use of photo stories. Mm. Fumetti style. Ah, there you go. It's the proper words. Much used in romance comics. Mm. Teen romances, girl comics. I don't believe there was another boys' adventure comic, for want of a better term, that used photo-style stuff. Even 2000 AD did it, it maybe dabbled. once or twice mm. in its entire run. Although, yeah. now they've got photorealistic stuff. And <laughs> yeah. photorealistic stuff, inverted commas. But this is different again. There's no attempt to stage your photos as art. God, no. <laughs> is it Clint Landley in 2000 AD who does that? I can't he does, remember. yeah, yeah. We'll come to the mechanics of how that works later as we see <laughs> people who pull it, stories that pull it off and stories that don't. But it's a very strange thing to look back on because at the time you're looking at it going, this is quite a neat thing. Nothing else is like this. And now you're looking at it going, oh, this is a strange thing. Nothing else was like that. Mm. But it was not an attempt to be cheaper. I mean, I used to wonder if it was cheaper to hire some actors. And we have no idea who the actors are. If anyone's got any idea who the cast for Doom Lord are, please let us know because I can't find any indication of who was in any of the stills. The closest I've heard is that Sergeant Streetwise turned up some months later in a fashion catalogue advertising underwear. Well, I was going to say when we got there, Sergeant Streetwise, I'm sure, was in a good few teen romances of the time. Hmm. He has that look. Yeah. But yeah, now it wasn't a cost counting exercise, and as time wore on and Eagle had to cut the corners and the budgets a bit, the photo stories were phased out. But at the moment, the majority of Eagle is a glossy-ish satin print, colour for the centre spreads Dandier story, and photo stories mostly throughout with one or two exceptions. Mm. Now, one other thing, dear listener, and we want to put this right up front, this was the 80s, so there are things that are going to pop up that to more modern eyes are going to look a bit weird. In some cases, history hasn't been kind. We're going to <laughs> address them when we see them. We're not going to give them too much of a critique because that's not what we're here for, but it's something we'll play by ear as we go along. Those playing at home, feel free to write in and complain if we've missed the audience. We've all moved on, Dave. We've all moved we on. There will be an acceptable in the 80s alarm, which we'll fire up when... Yeah, some of it we're looking at going... <laughs> anyway, yep. 
Issue 1 of Eagle. Cover date 27th of March 1982. Us being in New Zealand, a lot of context might have been lost. We would have got this about three months later, mm. around but June. July. Mm. That month in 1982, the comic Warrior started, Peter. Wow, did not know. Warrior was a prestige comic project which only lasted a few months, but it created things like V for Vendetta, mm. Axel Press Button, and a legal wrangle about the use of the character Marvel Man, which I think has only been resolved in the past few years. Crikey. In Doctor Who, Time Flight ended that week, and the start of the Falklands conflict was heating up. Wow. It would be finished by the time we got the issues in June, July, but yeah. let's see how much jingoism we pick up. Yeah, As yeah. Open sure. the front cover. <laughs> <laughs> so the front cover? The front cover for the first issue is a rather flash and glossy picture of the Mekon in artwork lifted from the Dan Deer strip mm -hmm. and stuck to the front cover, if you were lucky, was your free space spinner. And I got mine. I got mine, but I have no idea which roof it currently resides on. <laughs> no, I, don't, I think I parted ways with mine as well, sadly. But I do remember it. It was silver. I can still feel it in my hands. Not particularly substantial. Not particularly aerodynamic. For those who don't know what we're talking about, it's a little frisbee type thing. The same thing was used for the 2000 AD launch. And another space spinner would be attached to Eagle in a couple of years' time, a red one, mm. with spiky bits on it. The cover and pro promises Inside Daily Thompson, Radio One's Mike Reed. Inside Daily Thompson, uh, not a procological <laughs> No. <laughs> uh, Doctor Who, Peter Davison. Yeah. Brian Robson, Return of the Mekon. And it also promises dynamic stories. So Told in photos. <laughs> a contradiction in terms. Yeah. Every Monday for a princely 20p. New Zealand, 50 cents. 50 cents. 50 cents of my hard-earned pocket money went to this every week. And oh. I remember this being advertised on TV. Oh, I don't remember that at all. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, that's what got me interested. I had a vague idea who Dan Deal was because I think I'd heard about him through a friend's 2000 AD annual. Yeah, I absolutely snaffled it up, and that was the way it was. I was 11 years old, probably around about the right age to be getting Eagle, but maybe almost tipping towards the later ages of getting Eagle. And I stuck with it for probably at least a good year before moving on to 2018. Mm. So here's my entry point, issue one. My entry point was very similar to yours. My uncle, uh, who's only eight years older than I am, got 2000 AD, so I'd read a few 2000 ADs. I, I have vivid memories of random episodes in the first 50 issues. And my mum got me Eagle because at the time I'd been getting the look at learn solely to read the Trigon Empire comic strip. Hmm. And my mum, bless her, had fond memories of her brother reading Eagle when he was young, the 1950s run. So there you go. Wow. And we open it up. Story one. Doom Lord. An alien stalks the earth. Script by Alan Grant. Mm -hmm. And one assumes John Wagner in the background. Possibly. Photos by a chap called Gary Compton. No letterers as of yet. Nightfalls on the town of Cranbridge. And PC Bob Morton and reporter Howard Harvey see a meteorite coming down in the ominously named Gallows Woods. Investigating, they find a spaceship and are confronted by an alien. Doom Lord. Servant of Knox, Master of Life, Bringer of Death. <laughs> PC Bob is grabbed by the head and his mind is drained as his eyes go horribly white. Howard is bashed on the head by the alien and knocked unconscious. Doomlord then disintegrates Bob's body and adopts his form. Energizer to disintegrate. Howard later wakes up and rushes to the police station only to be confronted by... 
Bob, inverted commas, dun, dun, dun. wearing the alien's mysterious ring. Howard leaves, suitably suspicious, as Doomlord reports back to base at the first stage of his mission, which, if it reaches its expected conclusion, will result in the annihilation of the human race. <laughs> Next time, Mission Without Mercy. Fantastic. What a start. It's great. I remember this so vividly. And rereading it, as soon as it hit the, that energizer to disintegrate line, mm. it was just like a, a, a shock of recollection. Doomlord is cool. <laughs> I wanted that ring. I really wanted that ring. And it, well, we should probably talk about Doomlord and what he looks like. Yes, of course. Again, this is a photo story, but mm. Doomlord is actually really effectively realized. Someone's put a bit of effort into mask. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a skull-like mask with demon-y ears. And we'll put some photos on the blog. Mm. And this sort of, yeah, very oriental robe with a, mm. with a goldy collar and, yeah, it's, and the gloves. I always remember being impressed by Doomlaw's hands because they've got some pretty decent looking latex gloves. So the review I read, um, compared Doomlord's costume to being maybe a bit of a cast off from a panto, which sort of fits. Well, I've got, I've got to be honest. Now I'm looking at it as a 40 year old. I'm sure it's a set of curtains. <laughs> <laughs> It could be anything. It could it could be could be Omega's castoffs, but the mask is very cool. Unlike Tharg's mask uh, from 2018, which is <coughs> spoilers a repurposed Planet of the Apes mask, I think Doomlord looks like it's a it's a one off, and it's a cool mask. It is. He's got this sort of leering permanent grin. Yeah, sort of pointed Spock type ears. No hair at all. Very very sunken cheeks. Sort of shriveled pruny look. Mm. And Doomlord, I, I don't want to put spoilers out there, but Doomlord does become one of the flagship characters for the comic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it, I remember years ago reading a, a biography of Frank Hampson, the person who wrote through the original Dare, Dare hmm. and how disappointed he was that um, in the first few issues, Doomlord actually plays quite a significant lead role. He's headlining the, the front of the comic. Mm. Someone put a bit of effort into making Doomlord look Really good, and he did. In terms of uh, what's going on image-wise, it's set at night, so lots of stark contrast between black and white of the photos. They've got some great layouts of the panels, some nice transitions between them as well. Mm -hmm. It actually does fulfil this promise of being quite dynamic from the front page, I think. Mm -hmm. It does. And how's that for a cliffhanger? It's in and out in four or five pages. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've introduced the character. There's no sort of question about this guy is bad news. You know, sitting there in his stolen policeman's uniform and just saying, I'm going to screw this planet up. Well, I think the name might be a bit of a giveaway. Possibly. Well, no, no, no. Mm. The, the name has meaning later on. Mm. But we'll, we'll get to that when we do. The other thing, though, I found very impressive about it. Howard Harvey, none of this farting around with, is my friend an alien or not? It's like, right, how do we <laughs> deal with this? He's a wrong and right The total conviction of the regional newspaper reporter. Mm. <laughs> what were the two guys doing out in the in the middle of the night near Gallus Woods? Don't ask, Dave. Just... Do we need to... No, we just not push the button there. <laughs> <laughs> From the sublime to the maybe slightly ridiculous. Oh, come on. Story two. Thunderbolt and Smokey. <laughs> now the photo strip... Written by Tom Tully, mm. one of the mainstays of the IPC stable. He wrote for Valiant, he wrote in the original Eagle, he did Johnny Red, he did Wolfie Smith, 2000 AD's Dan Dare. He's most famous for writing Roy of the Rovers, which probably explains his pitch here. So to speak. 
No pun <laughs> intended. Um, and photos by John Powell. Colin Dexter is a new student at the academically brilliant but sportingly horrible Deadfield School. Despite being crackers about sport, <laughs> he joins the football team, commonly nicknamed the Dead Loss, and is coached by the mean and apathetic PE teacher Ferris, an aged individual of about 30. <laughs> During the game, they are trounced by a team, and they, the other team has a player called Smokey Bettles. In rage, Colin lets loose a thunderbolt of a kick. You see what they did there? Ooh. But when Smokey takes a dive, Colin is sent off by Ferris. After some rumination about how crackers about sport he is, a week later, who should turn up at Colin's school but Smokey? But Smokey doesn't want to have anything to do with the school team because they're so bad. What can Colin do? <laughs> Next time, out of the league. I know how he feels. Worst action acting ever. <laughs> I know how he feels. <laughs> But I'm not giving up. Somehow I've got to persuade Smokey to help me bring some pride back to Deadfield. Yes. yes. So I don't know. Um, it is the most tra- traditional sporting story. Mm. But again, look at the pedigree of Roy of the Rovers and stuff like that. You know, this is Eagle actually forming its function as a anthology covering sport as well as science fiction and the mad, crazy adventure antics that I was certainly expecting from this type of magazine. Mm. But I don't know if it's the juvenile cast or if it's the fact they're trying but failing to get the dynamic movement of sport. But some of the staged pictures look a bit... (laughs) It's a tricky wicket, this one, to mix the metaphors. Sport is dynamic. And Mm. getting photos of balls in mid-air and kids mid-run and tackles and diving and all that kind of stuff is... It does look weird in a still image, mm. but they make a good fist of it. I think, is this going to be the first story where you and I diverge in our opinions? Because I have an interesting journey with Thunderbolt and Smokey. I didn't take to it as a kid, I don't think. Even though I sort of went through a soccer phase, I also went through a motorbike phase and everything else, but certainly not into it now, not into football. Mm. But reading it now, it's, it's got a charm to it. And I think there's a universality to this story. Oh, yes. That I think we'll see as we go. Don't write it off yet. No, it, it, that's a fair comment. I remember it, but I don't remember it. Mm. I don't remember really enjoying it or anything about it, although it would be the time I had my brief dalliance with school soccer. But I, I don't know. I just The line about being crackers about sport just makes me sort of <laughs> roll my eyes as if kids were saying that in the 80s. But it, there, there is a sort of a otherworldliness to school sports stories, which I suppose we'll see more when we look at other titles that sort of merge with Eagle, like Tiger and mm. things. Mm. You have more of this kind of universal sporty story. But the only other thing I'd say, Peter, and we might have to push the button here, uh Black character named Smokey. We need to talk about Smokey. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I know Smokey can be a term of abuse for a sort of lightly skinned coloured person, and uh, I don't know how that would have fitted or if it's deliberate or what, but it's just something you look at 35 years down the line and go, oh. Yeah. Let's not quibble. The character and the kid portraying him as Anglo-Caribbean or Anglo-African. Mm. Look, to put another spin on it, we've got diversity in a comic strip already. Well, that's true. This is a comic which is not known for its diversity. 
Um, um, yeah, well, there's, there's, there's someone else coming up in a week or two, but yes, no, your point is well taken. And while he's very standoffish in the first issue, he does become one of the stars. So, yeah, mm. no, I, I take the mickey out of Thunderbolt and Smokey, but mainly because I think it's the story most aimed at the buying demographic, shall we say. It's very earnest. It is very earnest, yes. In fact, that last shot with Colin just sort of sitting there with his fist <laughs> thinking very hard about how we gonna, how am I going to win this guy over to my point of view? <laughs> yeah. You can hear the theme to Grainchill in the background. Story three. The police need men like him, men who stayed. Streetwise! Streetwise. Sergeant Streetwise. In a London street in the early hours, two officers try to move an old tramp off, but nearby two villains are biding their time. But as the crooks try and break into a jewellery shop, the tramp is revealed to be a much younger man who lassoes one of them with a bit of old rope and smashes the windscreen of the getaway car before it tries to run him down. The tramp scarpers before the panda playboy policemen return and arrest the bad guys. But later the cops see the tramp in the superintendent's office and confront him. The tramp is revealed to be Detective Sergeant Wise of Special Undercover Operations, but he has to adopt a new disguise because PC Plot has blown his cover. <laughs> After a quick change, Wise emerges as a biker punk, knowing he has to remain streetwise. <laughs> <laughs> Next time, the Thames Gang. He's far too pretty to be a policeman. This is someone, I think, who got the job because he'd been in a few of the teen romance photo no mm. novels. He is straight out of central casting. He really but is. But I have to say, the fight scene is got that photo dynamism. <laughs> Script by Gerald Finley Day, the mm. classic 2000 AD IPC writer. Again, did the Dan Dares in 2000 AD launch. Photos by someone called Dave Watts. Um, sorry, Dave, I can't find anything about you photo guys. Um, I've, got bit, I've got a bit of time for Sergeant Streetwise because it's, it's three and a half pages. It's got a big splash page opening. It's quick. It's in and out. It sets everyone up. And you know this is anti-establishment bad boy copper, sort of Sweeney or professionals with training wheels type thing. Definitely training wheels. I don't get the bad boy. I, don't, I mean, he tries to look the part of the bad boy, but he's very clean cut. I don't know. <laughs> if you're pretending to be a tramp, don't shave. Yeah, that's, that's a good start. <laughs> also, not as taken with photos in this one. Uh, there's the problem with the dynamics again. This first strip has a lot of speech balloons in it. It does. It's it really does. expository, and, and it just breaks up the photos a lot. But again, they've, they've got seem to have less pages for this one because this story sits either side of the central pages, which are the dedicated colour pages for something mm. else. I can see why it has this sort of rushed feel about it, but I think it works. The pace seems to work for it, I think, but I, your point is well made. So, speaking of the middle pages, mm. story four. Dan Dare. Return of the Mekon. In fact, it's actually Dan Dare and the Return of the Mekon. Mm. The story begins with the last confrontation between the original Dan Dare of the 1950s and the villainous Mekon, who is uh, basically a green alien with a giant head. Mm -hmm. With the Green Menace finally captured and put on trial, he is sentenced to be sealed inside a meteorite and fired off into space. That's what you do. Yeah, well, and the Mekon vows revenge. So he's like a Scotch egg. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I haven't finished the review. <laughs> but yes, he is like a Scotch egg of doom. <laughs> he's like a he's like a hundred year old Scotch egg because he he vanished. 
One, he's green, but also he vanishes off into space for an indeterminate amount of time before the Mekon is accidentally released by prospecting rodent-like aliens. Mm. And the Mekon then tracks Deer back to Earth, only to find a grave in London's Highgate Cemetery, mysteriously claiming that Deer died in 1950, years before his first encounter with the Mekon. But if the Mekon can't defeat a dead man, he will take his revenge on the planet Earth! I love that back page. I love the shot of the Mekon hovering over Deer's grave, or the ivy on the cross and everything. It's just, it's just lovely. This is a beautiful looking comic strip. It is gorgeously illustrated. Uh, illustrated by Jerry Embleton, brother of Ron, who I don't think I've seen anything else by. No. Ron Embleton, yes, Jerry Embleton, not so much. But it's very, very evocative of the original Dan mm. Deere sort of colour and style and detail. There's a point where they're telling the Mekon about the trees have become agrarian farmers and you have this lovely shot of the trees who are the Mekon's followers just sort of picking apples and waving at each other and having a, a lovely old time. Mm. So, I mean, it looks great and it catches the style rather well, but part of the problem for me as a kid is while I had an idea about Dan Deere, and while I sort of might have even known that there's some original Dandier characters floating around the first couple of pages, there's Digby and Sir Hubert Guest and stuff, hmm. I, I don't have the investment in it for the mystery of the time travel thing to kick in. I mean, I sort of saw it was there and thought, eh. but it's not something they come back to for quite a while. Well, this is funny in that, uh, sorry, jumping ahead, this introductory strip, is it the only bit that Barry Tomlinson writes? Don't know. Looking at the writing credits for it, this one says Barry Tomlinson, or mm. John Tomlinson, so he'll be better known to other people. But other people still get credits in it, um, Ian Kennedy, John Wagner, Pat Mills. Mm. The story, Return of the Mekon, does go on a bit. <laughs> so I could see it flicking from writer to writer. We'll, we'll deal with it more as we get there. Mm. But this has definitely got a very retro feel to it. May have more significance for the dads than the new readers. I think that's deliberate, and mm. it's lovely to have the classic Dan Deere in there, even mm. if it's just for one panel. It's interesting how it grounds it in a better way when the new Dan Deere shows up than I think the 2000 AD Dan Deere ever did. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's, it's definitely got its roots in the past, and it sort of says, yep, this is what we were, and in a few weeks we're going to see what we're going to be. Hmm. That's a pretty strong start. It is, it is. Scott Chiganal. And at this point, we'll take a little dive out from the stories to look at other stuff. Eagle was always a magazine rather than a comic book. So, pepper throughout the Eagle, there are other features and other bits and pieces, including welcoming the notes from the stars, which include people like Peter Davidson, Lenny Henry, Ian Botham, the cricketer, Roy Castle, who was in the Dalek movie, John Craven, a radio announcer. So there are all these little things interspersed between the comics. And I think going forward, we probably need to only pick one or two, or else we'll end up spending half the episodes mm. rambling about other things. One of the things that caught my eyes, there's an interesting thing called Big Mouth, where it sounds like people are writing into the editor complaining about things, banning motorists and using whatever language us kids want. Um, <laughs> right on. Which I've got to be honest, even though they're credited, I wonder if those of Pat Mills taking things out on a typewriter to have copy for the first issue and get a bit of argy <laughs> in there. And Peter Davison gets interviewed. Probably was a fairly straightforward interview. Yeah. Uh, at the time, right. there's a fo there's a photo series one on Brian Robson, a footballer. It's amazing. At the time, Robson was one of the highest signings. It was at 1.5 million pounds. It's only a few years later that Maradona gets transferred for 
much more than that. And now, I mean, it's well in excess of that. It's it's huge. Sixty million pounds or something. Yeah. The transfers. These are just before the days of of stupid money. Hmm. Although the F-15 Eagle jet is probably worth stupid money and there's a lovely little cutaway of the, the plane and where all the fuel tanks and everything are. and it, That actually something that probably is lost on more modern people looking at this. This was probably the end of that era where plane spotting and train spotting were accepted mm. hobbies and things to do. Um, I think they were big in the original Eagle mainly because post-World War II. Hmm. You spotted planes because they could be German or they could be American or they could be anything. Whereas nowadays, you've got more people worrying about the vapor trails than <laughs> about the planes. It's it's sort of the tail end of that era of yeah, let's do a cutaway of a fighter jet because kids are interested in fighter jets. It's it's a very different world. Well, we've got ads for model planes as well. Humbrol's mm. range of models. Of course, if you do see the F-15, you can award yourself 26 points. Whatever the heck that means. It's peppered with ads. It's got ads for everything in it. And I know Space Spinner 2000 make, have a lot of fun talking about the ads for things like the Green Cross Code and stuff like that. <laughs> but I think you and I should limit ourselves to maybe picking one ad and having an ad mm-hmm. of the week. Another one. We're talking about Waddington's Pop-Up Tower. <laughs> Pop-Up Tower. <laughs> it's fascinating because they're sort of slightly mock Tudorish. Yeah, it'll fit with your Matchbox toys. Yeah. Uh, so that's a shrewd move on their part. And, yeah, the idea that, that, that you could sort of pack away a wee small village and carry around with you if you're going away on your holidays or just to, to assemble in your room essentially a, a whole lot of cardboard cutouts that, w- that would come 3D. Mm. Within five years' time, that sort of thinking will be applied to a new boom in miniature wargaming with a, oh, okay. with a fantasy boom as well. So Games Workshop will, will be uh, using this same sort of tactic for the early Warhammer game. I don't, I don't see Games Workshop being at pocket money prices, Peter. <laughs> no, no, no. No glue, so easy. 79p each. Ironically enough, I, for a, a birthday present for my wife, who's Irish, I bought her a pop-up main street of her hometown in rural Ireland. So these things do still exist, but when I was a kid, you'd get the magazine and you'd look at the stuff being in New Zealand and go, what the hell? <laughs> I, I'd get a shoebox and a crayon. That would be my, <laughs> would be my limit. I would have loved it. I mean, as, as you know, I'm, I'm making a cardboard general store at the moment, so mm. it's, it's right up my alley. But... It doesn't half look flimsy. Do we want to talk about Mike Reed, Radio DJ? I'd rather not. Uh, he's rather ubiquitous. Uh, we're going to see a lot of Mike Reed in the up-and-coming comics. Uh, he's an inveterate name-dropper, so he's one of his mates in this one is Tim Rice. Uh, Mike Reed is a DJ. He's got a little column in there. I don't think I ever read these much because I'm on the wrong side of the planet to have ever had any understanding on Mike Reed. And nowadays, mm. when I read what he's written, all I can hear are smashy and nicey. <laughs> Absolutely. The comedy DJs from Harry Enfield's TV show. Well, of course, uh, Smashy and Nazi are based on the likes of Mike Reed, yeah. Tony Blackburn, David Lee Travis, those guys. My friend Tim Rice, who I play cricket with, more for charity. <laughs> Doesn't like to talk about it. Mate, no. This is probably meaningless to anyone who has no concept of them, but I will put a link up to Smashy and Nicey, and just imagine those guys writing for a boys' comic in the 80s. It's the fluffiest of the fluff. My lord. Daily Thompson has more weight. Yes. 
the decathlete, but again, I would never have known about him if it wasn't for Eagle. And to be honest, I doubt Daley Thompson writes any of the copy ascribed to Daley Thompson. <laughs> I suspect that's some jobbing staffer who's had to just come up with sports anecdotes. Yeah. And you slap Daley Thompson's photo on it. Daley Thompson was a decathlete, really big name in the UK for winning gold medals for the decathlon in the Olympics and the Commonwealth Games. We'll probably see more of Daley Thompson as time goes on. Yeah. But let us get our way out of non-stories and go to story six. The Tower King. Wow. Script by Alan Hab- Hebden. Hebden. He did Battle, Meltdown Man, and the art by Jose Ortiz. Mm. This is not a photo story, this is actually drawn art, and we'll talk about that after the summary. It is the future, you know, like the late 1980s. And mm. a vast array of solar panels has been placed into orbit to provide microwave energy for the world. It should have been a new era. Instead, it was the beginning of a disaster. Suddenly, worldwide, the generation of electricity is made impossible. Planes fall out of the sky. Nuclear power stations melt down. There are no radios, no telephones, no TV, no heat, no light. Panic sweeps across the world. Then comes starvation, disease, and death. Bring out your dead. Ah, wonderful. And that's the first page. Small bands of survivors form tightly knit groups to defend themselves, to continue life in the ruins of civilization. Within the walls of the Tower of London, such a group is led by a man named Mick Tempest. Beautiful. It is. And and like I said, that's not the story of this. This is just the brilliant. Tempest's group come under attack as two of his men, fearing supplies, are attacked by tube rats, ferocious, crazy people who live in the underground network. <laughs> Having killed the foragers, the rats are attacked by Tempest and a posse of defenders mounted on horseback and armed with medieval armor and weapons that looted from the town museum. Tempest rides down one of the rats who loses his goggles and is blinded by the daylight of the outside world. Tempest savagely kicks him down the stairs of the station, but cannot stop one of his men from following. In the dark hell of the underground, the man is ripped to pieces. Using explosives, Tempest seals the underground entrance, but returns to the tower to spot a steam train on the horizon. Someone is invading by rail. Fantastic. Next time, battle for the tower. I love the Tower King. I remember this being my favourite. Jose Ortiz is the Carlos Esquera of the Eagle. Mm, totally. Every time Jose Ortiz is... I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Yeah, yeah, I think so. He's drawing something. You know you're in for a classic story. It's a seal of quality. Compared to the photo stories, this is lavishly drawn. This is not black and white. It's got shading and texture to mm-hmm. it that makes me think it. if it wasn't in colour, it was designed for this type of printing. Mm. It's it's just beautiful. It breathes. It absolutely breathes in mm. a way that the fo- photo strips don't. I mean, it's Mad Max with training wheels, but this mm. this came out, Mad Max 2 was only the year before, and prior to this, I think I'd watched Survivors, the BBC TV series once, but this was my first real... Post-apocalyptic. Type thing. And, and, and it's not post-apocalyptic filmed in a quarry somewhere. This is in the centre of London. This is urban jungle stuff. Patriotism demands that I mention Battle Truck, which came out around about the same time here. So that was our Mad Max. Mm. But yeah, you're right. This this is far more cinematic. My God, what a, what a confident pair of hands to hold it. Just the last page where you, you go from this poor soul being confronted in the underground by these eyes and teeth in the dark yeah. and Tempest's face as he detonates the underground station and then you, you sort of jump to the, the end with this long train on the horizon bristling with guns and things. It's just awesome. You just want to see what happens next. You do. What happens next in the comic? <laughs> the Collector. Yes. Now, 
The Collector is a bit of an oddball because it's the horror mystery macabre anthology mm. within the wider Eagle comic. And this is sort of something that British comics used to do that have these sort of one-off stories bookended by a narrator who provides the moral or a punchline or something. Twist in the tale. Yeah, he's, he's the Misty or in uh, Look and Learn it was the man with no fear. In Bunty it was the button box. It's, it's basically Tharg's future shocks but with Tharg at the front and at the end, sort of providing a little bit of a commentary. Hmm. This week, The Eye of a Fish, a story by Roy Preston, who does a lot of these one-offs in things like uh, 2000 AD, and did some Mach 1, and hmm. photos by Gary Compton, who did Doomlord. Mm-hmm. This one also has an art credit, and we will soon see why. Mm-hmm. Terry and his unnamed dad go fishing, but all the good spots are taken. They ignore the warning signs and fish in an unoccupied stretch of water. They catch a small fish, which they callously throw onto the bank. It's not worth the effort. Then Terry lands a bigger fish, but then the weather changes as if a storm is on its way. As they pack up, a mysterious light shoots through down from the sky and zaps Terry away. His dad tries to dodge the beams, but he too is caught. They wake up on an alien spaceship where giant aliens squash Terry because he's too small to bother about. And then they cook dad for dinner! <laughs> the collector says, well, he's had his chips. Oh, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> ah, this is one of the ones I definitely remember. I remember this well. And again, the reason there's an art credit is because the alien spaceship and the aliens are all drawn. And they look like fishmen out of Stingray. Mm. But there is that, that scene where they just pick up the child and squish him. And it, the artist is Ron Smith. Dread artist. Fantastic. And of course, he'd done stuff for Hotspur as well. He's has a fantastic career. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's it's told in what, three, four pages? It's four pages, yeah. The thing with Eagle is it's quite a large format. I mean, you're talking about, in this case, you've got, you know, six panels a page. Mm. I've dug out my old copy because I'm lucky enough to, to have a couple of old copies still floating around. Mm. It's actually quite big. It's not bitsy. It's not too cramped and small. They're, they're quite nicely sized. Bitsy, the comic for girls. <laughs> As a kid, I remember this one being better. And the, the the switch to the art, while interesting, it's a bit Cottington Fairies. So uh, mm. It takes you out of the story, but look, I think there are, there are worse crimes down the track. But there are better ones as well, I think. I think it's, it's, mm. it's very much a, it's, it's one for the, the 10, 11-year-olds buying. Mm. Uh, it, it doesn't quite have a bit of punch. I don't know. I think the punch is there. I, mean, it, I remember it sort of slightly affecting me as a kid. The fact that, you know, a kid around about my age got squished by a giant hand <laughs> and then his father's going to be eaten. That's dark. Should we play the best and worst game? Hmm. Oh, it's tough. <laughs> <laughs> Channel your 11-year-old you. I think I would be lying if I didn't say it was Doom Lord. Yeah, I've got to agree. I mean... Tower King holds a place in my heart, and mm. I know there will be a point. It's just going to race ahead. Yeah. But for pure punch out the front door, it's a really close race between those two. It's straight off the blocks, yeah. Tower King, the world is over and after two pages. <laughs> that's a pretty effective start, but mm. Doomlord is just so full of promise. <laughs> Much more recognisable character. I mean, Mick Tempest is sort of scale male armour and everything. That's He cuts a good figure, but... Mm. Just from from that start, he's pretty interchangeable with your Mick Savages, your yeah. your, your other stoic British comic heroes. Yeah, true of heart and tough of attitude. Doomlord's something else. Do- mm. Doomlord is your two thousand AD anti-hero. Yes, he's yes. your nemesis, the warlock. He's all those other things. Yeah, definitely, definitely. How about your worst? 
which is probably not fair for issue one, but mm, I think it's going to be streetwise. Mm-hmm. I said that Thunderbolt and Smokey was earnest. I think that's earnest in the nicest way. Streetwise just tries to have a quid each way. He's a tough, good-looking undercover cop. Yeah, <laughs> um, who knows what his good side is <laughs> for, for all of the photos. Yeah, you know, it's it's just a little bit too posed for, for the tweens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I th- I think it will get better um, as the ensemble cast builds, but at the moment. Mm, certainly far too much talk far yeah. too much jibber jabber I've got to say Thunderbolt and Smokey for me um, mm. although it, it's close with the collector but I don't think either of them have quite hit their stride yet no as I say pretty daring to actually you know, kill a kid in your first issue yes definitely mm. definitely so that's us that was issue one hopefully next time when we do the month we'll be a bit quicker about it there's been a lot of groundwork laid this week so next time what is Doomlord's plan for the world? Mm-hmm. Will the Tower King fight off this train-powered siege? I hope so. What will Smokey do? <laughs> <laughs> so, until then, dear listener, we're, this is the first recording, so we still have to sort out our Facebook page, but there will be one. Our blog site will be sofageddon at wordpress.com. And we should be on iTunes. Subscribe, rate us, try beyond the sofa if you're listening to... <laughs> We're equal stare. Uh, try we're equal stare if you're listening to me on the sofa. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Bye bye. Bye bye. So long. So long. Well, doesn't do it. It doesn't do it. It doesn't do it. But a lot What'd you get up to last night, mate? Anything exciting? Well, I'll tell you, I had a nice quiet night in for a change. Oh, you can't beat a nice quiet night in for a change, can you, mate? <laughs> you can't. Put your feet up with a young friend, get a video out of the latest film release, uh, I don't know, buy some popcorn, maybe a few beers, uh, get a takeaway pizza. Or a Chinese. Indeed, or perhaps a nice curry. Yup, you can't beat a nice quiet night in for a change. You certainly can't. Unless, of course, you go for a great night out. <laughs> you can't beat a great night out, can you?